All right, now this is a message I've been wanting to preach for a long time. So, it's been a long time coming. Say, oh no, it's one of them he's going to preach all night. Maybe not, maybe not. Just I've been wanting to preach on this for literally years. And just never had the liberty until now. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's just read verses 1 through 8. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass and as or a tinkling, tinkling cymbal. We're off to a blazing start here, aren't we? And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil." That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. All right. Now we're going to talk tonight about thinketh no evil. So I hope you'll listen. This is really important. Now, to think no evil means to put the best possible construction on the motives and the conduct of other people. See, we're not talking about sinful thoughts. We're not talking about temptation in your mind. That's not what this is talking about. That's not the context, not what the words mean. Thinketh no evil is to impute evil to somebody else, to their motives, to their their thoughts. Thinking evil. Just thinking evil of other people. Thinking the worst instead of the best. Charity is thinking the best of other people instead of the worst. So it means that charity or that a person under the influence of charity is not malicious, censorious, Censoring people, disposed to find fault or to impute improper motives to others. If if we have charity, as the chapter talks about here, if we don't have it, then nothing else profits us nothing. We are nothing. But if we're under the influence of charity, which is love, which is the love of God, which is supposed to be shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost, It's the fruit of the Spirit. First uh, part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love. It's the evidence. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one to another. If we're really real, then we're not going to be that way. Always imputing bad. Always judging bad. It's not easily provoked right before. But it's not disposed to think that there was any evil intention, even in cases 
which might tend to irritate us or exasperate us. You know what I'm talking about. People, this we just we get tired of people, don't we? We get frustrated with people. People just don't do what they say. They always cross ways somewhere or another, and and so even if we got a right to think that, we don't. If love is our rule. If we are exercising charity, if we're walking in love, we don't think evil. You say that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. Charity is not disposed to think that there was any evil in the case or that it was done with any improper intention or design. You're you're not prone to that if you're walking in love. Now, y'all getting what I'm saying here. You're not prone to that. Either you're prone to that or you're not prone to that. If you're walking in love, you're not prone to that. If you're not walking in love, but you're walking in the flesh and in your own selfishness, you are prone to that. It's the first thing you think. The first thing you think is evil. They're up to something. Something wrong here. I'm telling you. You may not say it right off. You will eventually. But not right at first, it's all in here. Thinketh, thinketh, no evil. That is, it puts the best possible construction on the conduct of others. That's charity. And supposes, as far as can be done, that it was in consistency with honesty and truth and friendship and love. Now, hang on. I've got a lot more to say here. I know you, you're questioning. Saying, well, you, I mean, I mean, you know, people listening. And what if you say this? Hang on. <laughs> we desire to think well of the person we love. You do it with your children. Why do people do it with their children and then they won't do it with anybody else? Why is their little darling impossible to do anything wrong, but everybody else is as wicked as a devil? <laughs> Liars and cheaters and everything else. And why is that? Well, because people love their children. Yes, sir. And they can't just cast that love aside to be mean and for their selfish. When it comes to children, you're really not selfish, are you? You're children. No, you're not. But when it comes to everybody else, pretty much everybody is. And that's the key thing there. We desire to think well of the person we love, and nor will we think ill of his motives, opinions, or conduct until we are compelled to do so by the most irrefutable evidence. In other words, we shouldn't be that way. We don't, we ought to want to think well of somebody until it's impossible to. Now that's it. That's the bottom line right there. I understand as well as you do, probably better in a lot of cases here about how it can be with people. But that doesn't excuse us from what the Bible clearly says here. Charity thinketh no evil. You're walking in love, you're not going to think evil. You're not going to impute evil. You're not going to think bad of somebody. Bad of somebody. Think they're up to something that they're not up to. The the true child of God, therefore, will be prompted by the Spirit of God to be charitable in their judging of other people. Now, y'all believe that? You believe God's got anything to do with this? You believe God intervenes in the the heart and mind of a child of God 
if they're not acting in charity? I do. Because I've, I've experienced that. And there's no more striking evidence of the lack of the Spirit of God in a person than a disposition to impute the worst motives and opinions to others. That's, that is very clear evidence of the lack of the Spirit of God in a person. They're not walking in charity. I mean, and I'm on solid ground when I say that. Scriptural ground. I'm not adding anything or taking anything away. That's what God says right here. Plain as day. Now, it's also the beginning of the end to any relationship when you start thinking evil. Husband and wife, parents and children, brothers and sisters in the church, people at work, it don't matter. Your neighbor next door, when you start thinking evil, it's the beginning of the end. Now, the devil has a great advantage over us in this matter right here. Because we've all experienced, we've exercised charity and then been betrayed and hurt by it. It's a fact of life. The, if you love, you run a high risk of getting hurt by it. It comes with the package, comes with the territory. And we've all experienced that. We've all been bit. We've all been betrayed. On a, on different levels, some extreme and some just kind of casual, but it still hurts. Yes, sir. When you think the best of somebody and it turns out you were wrong, well, you don't want to be wrong again. You've learned your lesson. I've heard people say that. I've heard people tell me that they'll never let anybody get that close to them again. Right. Well... Where's charity? Where's charity? Where's Christ-likeness? Where's Christ in your life? Where's love in your life? How can you love without giving of yourself? Without suffering? Without running the risk of getting hurt? Ain't no such a thing. Not in this world. It's so common to be hurt and wronged by others that we're prone to expect it. And that becomes the habit of our thinking toward others. Please listen to me. That's the way it works. <clears throat> we get hurt. We get let down by people. The younger you are, the more you trust other people. The older you are, it seems the less you trust other people. This is more of a problem the older you get than it is the younger you are. These children trust you. Whatever you tell them, they believe you. They think if, if you appear good, they think you're good. They don't question it. They just, they don't suspect everybody and they don't judge, you know, just go over everybody with a fine tooth comb examining every word they say and everything they do and every way they look and every facial expression and all of that trying to figure out what's wrong with them so we can hex them off of the list. Children don't do that. I remember being young and just trusting people. I just trusted people. Got let down real bad. And it makes it harder for us to be charitable toward other people. 
So the devil's got an advantage over us in this matter. Now God says that if we think evil, we don't have charity. And if you don't have charity, then nothing else you got matters or counts for nothing. And we find it hard to exercise charity and to walk in charity because of these things that people have done to us. So you think the devil don't know that? <clears throat> Do you think the devil don't work that as much as he can? It's so common to be hurt and wronged by others that we're prone to expect it and, and that it, we form a habit of that. We think evil before we think good. We think without charity before we can rein in our mind and, and exercise charity. When we stop and think and consider then we chastise ourselves for thinking like we did about that person because we see that, you know, it wasn't what I thought. Or maybe it's not what I thought. And we got no right to imagine and think and impute to people things that we don't know. That's why the Bible says, judge not. This is what it's talking about. It's not talking about not being able to recognize sin or just letting it go and never saying anything against it because if you say it's wrong, you're judging me. Well, no, that's what nonsense. It's not what we're talking about here. I hope it'll get clearer as we go here. We think evil before we think good. We need to realize that by thinking evil of them, we're doing exactly what we're accusing them of doing to us. See, we're thinking that they're thinking evil of me. So... You see, it's dumb, dumb to be that way. And most of the time, they're not thinking nothing about you. But you imagine that they're thinking, they, they don't like me. They're against me for, or they don't like that about me. And so I don't want nothing to do with them then. That's got to be something wrong with them. They shouldn't be that way. They're judgmental. They got no right. So you see what you got. Where's charity? It ain't there. We judge their motives and question their love and respect for us and we begin to feel toward them exactly how we imagine that they are feeling toward us. I've seen this so much. Oh my, my. It's just the thing that happens that destroys homes, families, churches, friendships, everything. It's a problem between people thinking evil of one another, isn't it? Why we think evil? No charity. Why don't we have charity then? Well, this is a self-centered and selfish thinking. It shows us that we are primarily concerned with protecting our own feelings and our own interests. Now, you get what I'm saying there? To think evil is selfish of us. It's self-centered of us. <coughs> it's putting us in the center of everything. And making the universe revolve around us and, and how it affects us determines whether it's good or bad. Whether that person's good or bad. It's always at the expense of others that we do this. Because it's very rare that we think evil of someone and keep it to ourselves. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, we can't just keep it to ourselves. It don't just go on in the thinker. It has to come out the... Yes, <laughs> the speaker. We find it necessary to tell others. And that's even more evidence of selfishness because 
It's intended for nothing else except to win their sympathy and incite contempt for the person we're thinking evil of in them. We want them to feel the same way about them as we do. And we want them to feel sorry for us because this person's thinking evil of me. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sin. All sins. Love covereth all sins. <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, maybe this explains it a little better. Proverbs 17, verse 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. What is it in a person that feels this need to broadcast and uncover some wrong that somebody has done? What is it? Is that charity? No. It's contempt for somebody. You think evil of this person. Well, they did do something evil. Well, I refer you to John chapter 8 and the woman caught in adultery in the very act and they brought her to Jesus. How did he act toward her? Did he treat her as if she was evil? <laughs> Does that, did he excuse her adultery? No. No. Woman, where are thine accusers? And she said, no man. There's no man, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. There's a lot more than what we read there to that story. But that's not the only place. Jesus never thought evil of other people in the sense that we're talking about here tonight. Now stay with me here. He didn't do that. He never did. Even when they were very evil and they were thinking very evil toward Him, He still did not think evil toward them. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but let me tell you this. The devil is always present to accuse others to us as if he's looking out for our interests. The devil's always a liar. We know that fact because Jesus said he was. He is the accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He is the accuser. He's the one that comes and takes advantage of this weakness we have, this infirmity of our flesh in this matter. It's hard not to think evil of evil people. We get so used to it because it's everywhere and we're drowning in it. And we get so used to it that we think evil of good people too. We, we look for it there because we expect it there. It's got to be there because it's a, nobody's perfect and everybody else is that way. So we can't find anybody that measures up to our high standards that we have for other people, but not for ourselves. And he takes advantage. He accuses. He makes sure we don't miss nothing. He makes sure that, that we see the problems with everybody else, but not with ourselves. We need to realize that helping us to think of evil of others is an important part of Satan's strategy to ruin us. And we need to resist him in this. Part of the spiritual warfare. We're weak in this matter because we know that there's so much evil around us and that people are very often insincere and unfaithful and selfish and hateful. We know that. We don't have to learn that anymore. We've learned that enough. We already know that. So what we need to learn is how to not think evil of evil people. 
Because that's the Scripture's instruction here. Charity thinketh no evil. Now that's the standard. The highest standard. It's not easily provoked, but even step on up another step. Thinketh no evil. Say, I don't know how to do that. They're evil. How can I not think evil of them? Well, you're not getting the message yet. The key is charity. You need to remember the pit from which you were digged. You need to remember all the years that you thumbed your nose at God. All the years you lived in wickedness and sin and rebellion. God waited on you instead of thinking evil and Xing you out of the picture. Giving you what you deserved. If we'd all gotten justice, where would we be? Lost. What about mercy? What about long-suffering? What about forbearance and patience and all of those words that are in the Bible there? And we rejoice about it when it's toward us. From other people or from God. We just... Oh, we shout and raise our hands and say, Hallelujah, thank God. Oh, praise the Lord for His mercy. Renewed every morning. It's everlasting. It's from everlasting to everlasting. God's mercy. Praise the Lord. Where's ours? Why do we find one little fault in somebody and that's, that ain't no good. They say no good. We think we're uh, amateur providence that we can we can look at them and say i know where they're headed know what's going to happen to them yes sir how foolish how proud how ungodly really we've experienced so much of it that we've formed that mental habit of of defaulting to this defensive thinking about everything that's said or done by others everybody's just like listen i've known people that you can just see it all over them I think everybody does this to a certain extent, but some people are just so eat up with it they can't even hide it anymore. I mean, you, you, you look at them and you see their face change when somebody says something and, you know, and I know they meant that for me. They, they was aiming at me when they said that. We got that habit, see? That mental habit of we're always on the defense. Was it Freud come up with the idea of Paranoia. Everybody's out to get me. Everybody's against me. Well, that's the way of a person with no charity. That's the way they live. It's the way they think. They, they look at everybody as their enemy or potential enemy. And so they treat them that way with the guard up. I know you're going to say something. I know you're going to do something because I know you don't like me. And I know you're going to get me sometime or another. And you're going to say something about me. I'm ready for you. Charity cannot do this. If we're under the influence of love, we cannot live this way. This chapter starts out by telling us that without charity, absolutely everything else we do is vain and worthless. So it's imperative that we must deal with our evil thinking. We've got to turn to Jesus as our example in order to understand how we can overcome this fault and weakness in ourselves and overcome it. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. The promises are to the overcomers. What do, we, what do we overcome? This is one of those things we overcome. We learn, eventually we learn how to think charitably instead of evil. Now, some people were raised by... Parents who were who just thought evil of everybody. 
It's going to be harder for them. It's going to take longer for them to work that out. But I'm just telling you, I believe this. If you, if the Spirit of God is in you and you're truly born of God, you're going to eventually, you're going to gain ground and you're eventually going to get the, overcome this. You're going to be able to love other people even if they are evil. Even if they do treat you bad. Even if they do think evil of you. You're not going to return in kind. Even in your thoughts. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, that's going to be, that it gets to pretty close to how it's going to be in heaven. You know, when you just don't think that way. You just don't look at other people and think. Wonder what they're up to. Wonder what they're thinking. I'll bet you I know. Uh-uh. First Peter chapter 2 verse 23. Who, it's talking about Christ, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Just leave it all in God's hands. <laughs> why why we have such a hard time doing that? Why can't we just leave our fights and our battles and our criticism and our critics in God's hands? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I'll repay. It's not your job, it's not my job. Not my job to worry about people that criticize me or don't like me. My life's not about winning everybody to like me. <laughs> it's not my job to be concerned about critics or people who say stuff. God will take care of all of that. My job is to follow Christ and be like Christ. And that is the goal. That was the goal. That's what God foreordained from the, before the foundation of the world that we be conformed to the image of His Son. So that's the whole goal. That's the whole work of God in this world right now, is working on us to make us more like Him. All that come to Him. First Peter chapter 2, back in verse 15 there, it said, For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So you overcome evil with good. That's how it works. This is a theme throughout all the Bible. We're not just pulling one... One little verse, part of a verse, phrase, out of a verse, in one chapter of the Bible, this is the way of God. This is what He does. This is what He came for. This is what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to do this for us. To get us out of that hateful, selfish, critical, hating everybody mind. Jesus was certainly thought evil of, but He never thought evil of others like this. There's a great difference in the sight of God between discerning good and evil. Are you listening to me? Discerning good and evil, wise and unwise, etc. There's a great difference between that and having contempt for others and counting them as evil and worthless. I see what other people do that's wrong. I feel it if they say something mean to me or degrading or insulting. Yeah. And I can say that's wrong for them to do that. But it's another ball game when I just turn my hate guns on them and say, you low down, I'm telling you, you you just worthless, you idiot, you blah, blah, blah. How many names can we call them in Christian love? How can you do that? <laughs> 
we always think of these things in the high and lofty, you know. We, when we come to church, we're going to be good. But then we get out on the highway and we're ready to shoot somebody if they cut us off. Yeah. Or if they don't dim their lights. Or, <laughs> or if they come over on our side of the road. And This needs to get down in the little bitty, nitty-gritty of our life. Thinketh no evil. It's the habit of our mind. That's what it's talking about. Not just the what I do on purpose. It's got to get to the place where I just don't do that. I just don't get mad. I don't get offended. I don't get riled or, or excited about it if somebody crosses me a little or inconveniences me a little or frustrates me a little. And I think they're just doing that just because they don't like me and they're just doing it to make my life miserable. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. He never did that. Even when He condemned those self-righteous Pharisees with the strongest language, He didn't didn't feel that way toward them and He didn't speak that way toward them. Often He wept as He said those things or right after He said those things. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. It's not, this judge not, is not that we can't recognize sin and evil and wrong and say what it is. The thinking evil is our attitude towards someone else who's doing that or who we think is doing that. But all of our thinking evil really happens when they're offending us more than when they're just sinning out there. I mean... Will most people will laugh with them? I read somebody's resolutions or something the other day. It was things, it was some kind of little deal. But one of them was never laugh at sin. You better pause before you. These are things you better pause before you do laughing at sin. I remember a story about John R. Rice. He was he said he was preaching at this meeting and he was. He was imitating a drunk, you know, talking like a drunk and everybody's laughing and having a big time. On the way home, there was an accident he came upon and this this guy that was drunk had run over this other car, killed this person. And he vowed he would never do that anymore. He would never make light of sin or, or treat it in that way. We, we recognize sin. And we recognize evil. And we're offended with it. Yes, we are. I am. God is. But what did Jesus come to do? And what did Jesus do while He was here? Toward people like that. Well, Luke 23 verse 34, Then said Jesus, as they drove the nails in His hands and His feet, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted His raiment and cast lots. Now see, the natural man doesn't like that. The natural man says that they need to die. The people who are doing that, that's evil and it's wrong. How can he say, Father, forgive them? Charity. That's how. That's how we do it too. Well, what about him? Did Jesus, was he concerned about himself? Did he show any sign? Did he say anything? Did he 
show any evidence at all that he was concerned about himself, his body and the pain and suffering and the offense and how wrong he was being done. Nope, not at all. Others actually did speak to Jesus with malice and their motives toward Him were full of malice, but He reacted in love. We're prone to assume that there's malice in the actions or words of others toward us and we react in kind, at least in our mind, before we allow it to come out of our mouth when there's no charity at work involved. When the when charity doesn't rein our mind back, that's what we do. He gave Himself. He laid down His life. Now, why do we think evil? It's a self. It's self-centeredness and selfishness. Your life is not laid down as long as self is important. He gave Himself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. But made Himself of no reputation and took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You ought to go sit under a tree in the woods somewhere and for about three or four hours and just think on that verse. He made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. (laughs) And he didn't think evil of other people. He didn't count anybody as a lost cause. He didn't count anybody as unworthy of his notice, his attention, his love. He always won. He wanted Lazarus' grave. He won the woman at the well. We can go on and on. He won every time. A sinner was converted because he loved them instead of thought evil of them. See, our trouble in this matter of thinking evil of others is that we have not laid down our lives and we've not humbled ourselves. We're still concerned about protecting ourselves and our reputation and our pride. I've known... Two or three men in my life that would not defend themselves. And I always, I had a hard time. You know, man, say something. You, they're, you're being accused and not, it's not true. People tell lies on them. Why don't you just say something? No, God's, that's God's business, not mine. <laughs> well, they understood this. They understood it. We're still concerned about protecting our reputation and our pride. First John chapter 3, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What do you think it is that causes people to do things like this? You know, I read a story one time about in Russia, and they, were, they took a bunch of prisoners, they were Christians, and they took them out, on this frozen lake, took all their clothes off of them, and it was, I mean, sub-zero weather. And they were going to freeze them to death, and they did. And one of the guards joined them and died with them. What makes people do that? Right there, I just read it to you. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
Do you know what a powerful effect it has on someone when you respond to their evil with good? When you don't think evil of them and they perceive that? Even though they've done evil to you and they know it? And they see you react with charity? Well, it's a showstopper for them. We're too quick to think evil of others or what they're doing. We're just too quick to think evil of them. It blinds us to some important things. All right, now, I'm going to try to hurry. There's one more point that I want to make about this. There's this element here of condemning the righteous, which is an abomination to God. Proverbs 17, verse 15, He that justifieth the wicked. Now, we're not justifying the wicked by showing charity. We're not justifying what they... What they're evil. We're not justifying their sin. We're not saying it's okay, whatever you want to do. That's not what we're doing. But he that justifies the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Get that. Condemning the just, the righteous. Now there's, that, that's a truth that's influenced our civilization for at least the last 500 years that we should be considered innocent until proven guilty. It's been a fundamental part of the civil law that we've lived under all these years. And it's a fundamental principle that guards justice. We talked about this here a while back. Benjamin Franklin said this. He said it is better 100 guilty should escape than one innocent person should suffer. It's better for a hundred guilty people to get away with it than it is for one innocent person to be condemned. Now that's a fundamental principle. Now you where did they get that? Well, they got it from the Scripture. Just what we're talking about here. John Adams said this, and it's a little more lengthy, but listen, this is the way they thought. This is the way the people back then thought. Blackstone's law, you know, I don't know how many of you know about all that or whatever, but that's, that was, you know, he was one of the major, he kind of wrote the books on the law, civil law, and it came directly from the Bible. When Finney started studying to be a lawyer, he had to read the Bible. You had to study and read and study the Bible in order to be a lawyer. He had never done that in his life. Well, he got saved right pretty quick after he started doing that. And so, our law in this country is based on mostly Blackstone's law, which came directly from the Bible. But John Adams said this. He said, we find in the rules laid down by the greatest English judges who have been the brightest of mankind, we are to look upon it as more beneficial that many guilty persons should escape unpunished than one innocent person should suffer. Now listen to his reasoning. The reason is because it's of more importance to community that innocence should be protected than it is that guilt should be punished. For the guilt and crimes are so frequent in the world that all of them cannot be punished. And many times they happen in such a manner that it is not of much consequence to the public whether they are punished or not. 
But when innocence itself is brought to the bar and condemned, especially to die, the subject will exclaim, it is immaterial to me. Now he's not the subject, he's talking about the citizen that's looking on this. Will exclaim, it is immaterial to me whether I behave well or ill, for virtue itself is no security. And if such a sentiment as this should take place in the mind of the subject, there would be an end to all security whatsoever. So innocence has to be protected. Protected. This kind of thinking came directly from the Scriptures and the fact that charity thinketh no evil. The escape of the guilty from justice does far less harm than when an innocent person is condemned. Now, I'm making a strong point here. So I want you to understand that. This is true whether it's in a court of law or if it's in the heart of a man or woman. You, you hear me? That's what we're talking about. We judge them, we convict them, we condemn them in our heart on very little evidence with much prejudice. And we think it's okay. But lost people of the world didn't think it was okay. The Bible says it ain't okay. It's an abomination to condemn the righteous. Have you ever done that? Yet most people can seem to consider it a mark of spirituality or wisdom to find fault. To be the first to spot the imposter. Or to have some kind of gift for seeing the evil in others. They consider it much more important to call sin or infraction, any of them, out to make sure it's punished than to protect an innocent person from being condemned. I've seen this in real life. I've seen it carried out. And it's, it's the destruction is unbelievable. They consider everyone guilty until proven innocent. You know, that's the way most of the rest of the world, that's what they operate on. And actually, it's kind of that way here now. I mean, you're guilty. You have to prove your innocence. Well, that's backwards. Well, will be innocent until proven guilty. What does, that, what does that really say there? You're not thinking evil of them until you can't anymore. What is the rule for a jury? The rule is that that you have to be convinced beyond any reasonable doubt that they're guilty before you vote guilty. If there's any reasonable doubt, you don't say they're guilty. You can't. That's our law. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's from the Bible. It's based on this subject that we're talking about here tonight. Thinketh no evil. Now, that was the crowd that crucified the Lord. They were like that. It didn't matter. They were so filled with hate and rage and the mob mentality. They just wanted him dead. Crucify him. Crucify him. Why? What evil has he done? They, they cried out the more. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas, who was a murderer. Now, we all know that we've been guilty of this sin in our heart and with our lips too. We should own our guilt and repent of such an awful and harmful way of thinking and resolve to stop it and walk in charity toward others. We know that we've thought evil and 
usually spoken evil of others and later found out that we were wrong in our judgments about what was going on with them in their life and mine. Have we? Have you ever? I mean, you willing to own that tonight? You ever did that? You ever thought evil of somebody and turned out he's wrong? Did we repent? Or ask forgiveness from God? Or from them if we went out and opened our mouth and told others what we were thinking about them? Charity thinketh no evil. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2. The Bible says this, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Do you know what the crucified life really means? What does crucified mean? Dead. It means the, the, the cross is the innocent dying for the guilty voluntarily. The vicarious death and suffering of Christ means He did it willingly because He loved us. Even though we were evil. And even though we thought evil of Him. Even if we see the evil and the evil is true and meant for us, that's exactly what Christ did. We should act like Christ did toward us. That's exactly the way it was. It was evil. This is your hour in the power of darkness. It's evil. But did He count all of them? I mean, there were men at the cross. Centurion. That centurion standing there. (laughs) He said, surely this was the Son of God. People that were involved in it later became Christians. How did that happen? Well, just what we're talking about here now. So even if we see the evil, and it's true, and we see it all the time, and we know that it's evil, and we know that it's true, and we know that it's sometimes directed right at us, does that give us a right to, you devil, you sorry excuse for a human being, you deserve to be in hell, that's what you deserve, treating me that way, no. Romans 5 verse 8, But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. And we're not willing to even get a hold of our mind and quit thinking evil. We can't think well of other people. We can't think charitably. We can't have a burden for them because we're too concerned about being offended. Or somebody saying something about us that ain't true. Or... Somebody just not doing us right. After all I've done for them and after all I've helped them and after... Just not Christ-like. Being like Christ is to be willing to walk in His steps. Bear our cross. What does that mean? Bear our cross. It means I've got a lot of pain in my body and I just have to live with it because I'm, you know, that ain't no, that ain't a cross. The cross is what you get crucified on. It's what you die on. And you die, you get nailed to it by other people. And you say while they're nailing you to the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You say to the one that was just railing on you on the one side, 
today thou shalt be with me in paradise. My goodness. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And that's the whole deal here. We're supposed to be like Him. And the work of God in our lives is supposed to be making us more like Him all the time. And this is a major thing. This is a major part of it. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Just there. This is it. This is this is a real deal. I'm uh, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna ask the Lord to help me even more with this. The older you get, the more times you get slapped around, the more prone you are to just think. You know, well. You know, you just get where you don't trust anybody. It's wrong. It's wrong. The Spirit of God in us should always cause us to have hope and faith and love. And it ought to be directed to others. Amen. I'll quit. Father, thank You for this message here. And Lord, I pray that You spoke to others as You did to me with this. Please help us to keep this one. Help us to apply it in our lives. And help us to be more like You. And I pray Holy Spirit of God would just pull in the reins on us and use the checks as the old timers used to say to, to remind us in the moment when we're allowing this to happen in our thoughts to put a stop to it. To look at that person again and have charity and put a different light on what we think they're thinking or saying. Consider all their life and, and the things that we don't know and treat them as if we love them. Help us, Lord, to overcome evil with good and not to return it again. Lord, just help us with this. Speak to our hearts and, and burn this in our souls that we would walk as you walked. In Jesus' name, amen.